Welcome everyone to the Proxity Podcast. My name is Kouros. Today I have Justin Wilkins. Justin, thank you so much for taking the time today. No problem. Thanks for inviting me on. That's all right. I saw you on first on YouTube, but I've seen you all over social media. And I, and I definitely want to have a chunk of conversation about branding and content, which is not property specific, but something I think you've done really well. But for just to just to outline for people listening, the bare basics, where do you live? Where do you invest? And in whatever shape form you want to describe it, what does your investments look like at the moment? Yeah, sure. So thanks very much once again for having me on. I'm based in south of England. I'm a new property investor, so still quite new to the process. Um, but I invest actually probably as far away as I well, not as far away, but fairly far away. You know, far away, which is up in Liverpool. I've bought a recently bought a buy to let up there. I do also own a property down here, but that's solely for living in. Whereas my one in Liverpool, yeah, it's my first buy to let, and it's just a, a straightforward family buy to let. It, it you know, rents out every month through a managing agent. I have fairly little to do with it. And um, I intend just to continue growing a portfolio like that so that in the next five, seven, 10 years, I've built up quite a good monthly income just from property. And then the property themselves will hopefully play as a, a sort of pension going forward as well when I get older. So Yeah, yeah, you're saying it as if you're old, you're old now, but I, people can't see. I can see you're still a young young lad here. So um, I think you're doing, you're doing the right thing. So um, out of interest, because well, I saw an image, and I remember you were sharing a image from, like it was a Google Maps directions from you to your, your area of investment. It's like the south coast of England to Liverpool. Um, so we'll definitely talk about how that all works. But um, just out of interest, so... Are you because are you based near the south coast where prices are really expensive? Because I know somewhere down south it's almost impossible to get in the market. Is that is that why you looked up north? Uh, it's it's part of the reason. So yeah, I'm down south near to Brighton, which isn't as bad as London, but still, you know, a seafront apartment in Brighton is you know four or five hundred grand, which you know for an investment is hard enough to get into, and and the return isn't there necessarily. Um, but I'm just down the road, 15 minutes. It's not as expensive, but still incredibly expensive. You know, for the price of my home here, you'd easily buy four or five investment properties up north with that. And that's, that is definitely one of the main reasons I looked to invest up north because I had a small amount of money to get started with. I wanted to get my foot in the game, um, experience it and learn just by doing, by taking action. So I started researching cities and yeah, for me, Liverpool certainly was where I wanted to start. I feel like it's got great fundamentals as a city, good growth potential, you know, good returns monthly. So that's, they're the main reasons I went for it. Yeah, Liverpool's probably, I mean, it has to be one of the best areas right now to invest. I mean, there's a lot to talk about it being an area which has recently bottomed out. So it's only kind of looking to go up. Uh, which people don't think you can have in 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 North England, but capital appreciation definitely seems like it will appear in Liverpool. But on top of that, the rent relative to the house prices is it's the best in the country. It's it, it's an ideal spot. But I I think this will be really fun to go into because everyone says the first deal is the hardest. So let's walk about how how you actually went about it. Was there any reason you chose Liverpool as opposed to let's say Midlands, Newcastle, anywhere else like that? Was this what did you find some research on it? Did you talk to someone? Why did you choose Liverpool? Good question. I look. I looked into loads of areas. You know, more or less most major cities in the north and the Midlands, and I even have family in the Midlands. So some would say that's potentially, you know, would have been a good place to start. But for me, 
I really wanted somewhere, as you've just mentioned, that was right at the bottom scale in terms of price, could hopefully only go up from there. You know, Liverpool had a lot has a lot of similar attributes in my eyes to Manchester, which is within recent years undergone a load of growth. You know, there's a lot of building and money being put into Liverpool. And I always think, you know, when that is happening, you know, that's the early signs when big building companies think there is money to be made from an area, you know, when somewhere has such good travel connections, such good employment at the moment. I mean, not really good when you compare it to other areas, but certainly rising employment there. I think that's good signs to follow. And they're, they're the main reasons behind it. And for people listening, just out of interest, because I know people don't know, what what is it you do actually full time for work? I work in sales, actually. So um, what do I do? I work for a trade exhibition company. I used to work as an estate agent, which is definitely... I thought you were still an estate agent, yeah. No, so yeah, I left it uh, three years ago. And um, basically, I sold a house to a gentleman. He really liked my sales technique, I guess. I don't don't know why. But he then <laughs> he invited me to come and work for him, you know, at a trade exhibition organiser, you know, in London. But I, I work out of Brighton most days, but our shows are up in London. Um, so you are you selling tickets to a trade show so we're selling the space we are selling the show itself the stands to companies and then we have visitors come along you know we run some quite big ones sort of nine ten thousand people you know per one some are bigger than that we run quite a few different ones um one that i specialize or, or certainly working on at the moment is an accounting one which has definitely helped put me in connection with the right accountant when it comes to property as well which has been useful but Overall, it's just a really solid nine till five job. And when I clock off, I clock off and then I can focus on property and my side businesses. Yeah. And that's, I think, probably the best case scenario is to have enough space in the day just to get working on something like that. Um, So let's walk through this because I know you have quite a unique view on funding when it comes to your first deal. I've I've seen a video of yours, which and, and I think it's a really valid point. So for people listening, how did you fund your first deal and what's your view on where to get funding for your very first deal? So I think it's it's got to be yourself. So with my first property deal, it was my money. You know, when I bought my own home, of course, that was mine and my partner's money. Then when it came to my own buy to let, it was a case of, you know, I set myself just over 12 months to try and save up £20,000 and I just went for it. Saved really hard. I lived very frugal and I did lots of side businesses, you know, lots of hours spent earning small amounts of money, but all to put towards buying that first home because I think you, you the money that you use to buy that first property should be yours because then you everything is on the line for that one property for you to purchase and you to experience that yourself because uh, at that point you've got no knowledge, no experience, and you learned so much from that first deal. So in my opinion, there'll be others that argue with me because, of course, you know everyone has a different opinion on it, but I think you should use your own money for your first deal. And then if you're looking to work with investors, from then onwards, you look to use your experience that you've gained from one or property two to then purchase another one uh, with someone else's money. Also, then you have assets to fall back on should any mistakes be made and you put someone else's capital at risk. You have your own assets to fall back on and help get yourself out of that hole. Yeah, and it makes you more valid as an investor going forward because you'd have something, like you said, to have a personal guarantee and say, and I've had experience so forth. That, that does make sense. I w- what just came to mind as we were talking about that is I would say maybe the only other scenario is if, if you're in a job where you have already had loads of experience dealing with property, but because of your nature of your job, maybe you've had enough experience, but you've never actually bought your own property. But then even then, it does make sense to use to use your own money because you just want to know that you've gone through the process without risking anyone else's, which makes sense. 
yeah. um, that's my personal, you, my personal view yeah. on it anyway. So, how did you go about so t- so 20,000 in one year is not easy, that's <laughs> just um, that's, that's saving. So, aside from everything else, expenses and mortgage, everything, yeah, what would you say if you had to advise someone? The, like one or two or three or four things that always seem to crop up as things you should really keep an eye on if you're trying to save that would really make the biggest difference what moves the needle is it saving on going out for dinners is it saving on um changing your mortgage to repayment versus interest only what big chunks of payments do you think really help save 20 grand in one year yes yeah, it's, it's it's something that you know can be easily done i mean it was just over 12 months it took me and i really really had to drop the hammer in order to save that amount because my my job is good and pays well and obviously a a large portion of savings comes from that each month but then i also did a lot on the side so i you know you start off by um you know really scrutinizing your finances and that's something i'm quite passionate about that if you really map out all of your finances you know obviously make note of those that are priority and that you have to pay first and then anything that's left over that's more of a luxury item can it can you take it out for for 12 months for the sake of you know one step back to go two steps forward kind of thing so massively did that obviously if you can do anything if you've got spare time and you have a job that allows that allows you spare time you know things like there's there's platforms out there that are so easy like ebay amazon um you know obviously youtube as well but um so those are you know ebay particularly i used to actually you know go, taking it back i went to car boots i met with antiques dealers and i bought and sold items for profit and then one thing i don't mention very much is also in the evenings i would come back from work i'd get home about six half six and then i would then i did a hundred percent commission roll for another company where i was selling products um for them to UK and America. So they were for businesses. Um, and I was basically on a hundred, well, I was on a hundred percent commission and I managed to bump up my, my, you know, my savings by a few hundred pounds each month by doing that as well. But that's, oh. it's not for everyone. Yeah, no, it sounds like, you know, it's a lot of diligence, a lot of discipline to get that going. But then again, you have brought, you have brought the property. So it does make sense. When, what do you remember when and what month, yeah, precisely. You bought that property. I'm just curious. Your first deal, uh, December 2019. What's that? Eight oh, months not long ago. ago at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not long ago at all. So let's talk through it. How did you living so far away? What? How many miles are you? Four hundred, five, four, three, four hundred miles away. Uh, I think it's just under that. It takes me. What does it take me? Uh, about four and a half hours on a good run. Yeah. So it's all motorway, literally door to door. You know, apart from the last 15 minutes of Liverpool, it's motorway, which. I actually don't mind. I think that's quite good. If some people would absolutely hate that, but it's it's very easy. Just get get on with it. But um, normally, I leave at five thirty in the morning, and you can do it in four and a, four and a half hours. <laughs> do you slog in one journey, or do you stop off halfway? Or no, I always stop once. But yeah, you know, once at least just to to get a coffee more than anything. <laughs> well, if you leave at five thirty, what time are you up? Uh, normally, yeah, last time, yeah, quarter to five, five. But um, if you do that, you save yourself half an hour at least on the journey. And then also, normally I'll do, if I'm going up there for viewings, I'll do two or three days. But I want to make sure that I'm getting in 10 viewings the day I'm going up. So by leaving at 5.30, I can means I can start viewing at about 10 a.m. Okay. Which is good. So Yeah, yeah. And then you'll do 10 that day, maybe stay for a couple of days after and do 10 each day, something like that? Yeah. Not, the last time I just went up for two days. But um, yeah, I managed to do um 16 in total over two days whereas normally i would like to do 20 ish yeah that's amazing so on this particular deal then i assume you didn't work with deal sources you found this one yourself 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Found it myself. Um, had done multiple weekends up there. The first few weekends were only did a few, only did a few viewings at a time because I was more getting a feel for the different areas that come with Liverpool, um, and also trying to get a feel for the city centre. Make sure it's definitely where I want to invest my money for the next twenty, thirty years, and which it turned out to be. So then I continued to go back up there. In fact, the weekend I found my house, I'd gone to a conference in York. So that was about seven hours from my home. Drove up to a conference in York, stayed uh, stayed overnight, and then drove over to Liverpool in the next day and then did a day of viewings. I thought I might as well utilise driving up to York. So I did one day of viewings, and then I came back, and that's the day actually that I found the property I bought. I met the owner, and um, she told me she was quite keen to sell. I thought it was a good house for the money, considering it didn't need too much doing for it. So went from there. Oh, it's amazing. So interestingly enough, the first time I'm still in the kind of process of doing viewings, I'm not looking at Liverpool in, anymore. But when I first started to look, I actually did look at Liverpool. So I went there for two days, did eight on each day. And I got to know the areas. It's quite it's quite good Liverpool because you can really get a gauge of which post goes to stay away from, where to, where to look at. But it is like the city centre is really nice. Like for people who don't know, it reminds you a lot of Brighton and London. It's a really nice place. Yeah. But then you do have like some areas of L4 and other places where you just want to be careful uh, I won't name the town, but everyone knows there's a small town there, which which people advise to stay away from. <laughs> but um, out of curiosity, what wh- where where is your where is your first one? Is it L one, L four, L six? No, it is L four. It's um, oh, fair enough. Yeah, I took a bit more of a risk in the sense that I know that not not everyone would pick that as an area to invest, and I viewed lots of that areas in the south. I viewed L six, which is more like Anfield, and I just happened to throw in a couple in L four and. For me, as, as I say, some would find that a risk going to that area, but I think the area is starting to find its feet, depending where you, whereabouts. Obviously, there's still uh, perhaps a slight, slight high level of crime. I know that, but um, in terms of going forward, the risk to reward level was enough for me to go. Actually, I really like this house I've seen. I like the road it's on. I'm just going to go for it. And um, but my next one, I've been looking more mid, you know, mid and south at different areas. Yeah, yeah. And and the great thing about Liverpool is you can really zip around the whole of Liverpool within like 45 minutes. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? The main areas, you can really you can really get around, which would be hard for somewhere like Brighton, London. So where did you, the when you were booking these viewings in, were these all that you had found online? And do you have a preference of where you, you feel are good deals, right move, Zoopla on the market? Where did you find them? So I always start with right move. Um, there's a few different things. I don't just use portals, but my okay. go-to are mainly portals to start with. And um, yeah, of course, you know, Rightmove, because every agent more or less will use Rightmove and I will book in and make a list or, or a short list from there. I'll also use On The Market and Zoopla. I use them as basically just quick references because there are a, a few small independent agents where they might not want to pay the Rightmove fee. For anyone that isn't an estate agent, you know, right move charge by far the most per month so if you are a one-man band with a with a you know one shop you might look to avoid right move not always because it's such a good platform but um it's always worth just cross you know cross referencing but you will see a lot of the same houses um so that that for platforms i do have one or two other ways in which i you know i can reach out direct to solicitors i don't massively share them because they're quite if everyone started using these websites that i use it would quickly ruin them for me and for the others that have taught that to me. So um, basically there's a website you can use and it puts you in direct contact with solicitors that are dealing with probate sales and, um, you know, other methods in which you could buy property that aren't necessarily on the market yet. 
but I haven't seen too much success because I've only just started using them a bit more. Um, actually used it more for buying down here or looking down here recently than I did up there. Yeah, there's a whole there's a whole debate about on the market and off the market, and I I've met people like fifty fifty. They found great deals on right move. People found great deals off the market. And I just feel like they're everywhere, you know, they're available as long as you're looking for them. And sometimes speed helps if it's straight on the market and you're one of the first to view, it always helps. The um, So you found you found a list of properties. How did you organize your day? For example, did you put them, like, because you're going for so far, you want to make sure it's an efficient trip. Did you put them all in a spreadsheet and make like a list of viewings and get it in order? How did you structure the hours? Did you do one viewing per hour or what did you do? Yeah, so I mean, I do it in a really basic manner, like a basic spreadsheet. I do actually have a video on it, you know, on YouTube about it, n- not to plug it, but you know, there's a way in which I, you know, shortlist them, and then you know, when it comes to booking them in, I just give myself a half an hour slot because normally you can view a house in ten to fifteen minutes, and provided the next viewing, which is half an hour later, is within a similar area. You know, if I'm booking, you know, properties in Old Swan or. D- you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be Liverpool. Let's just take any city. If you're booking properties in a particular area, let's try and group four or five in that area so you can smash them out every half an hour, then move on to another area. Um, you might allow yourself a bit more time to get there. Um, because you, whilst I book them closely together, that's now, I feel like it's appropriate to do that now because I know the areas a bit better. Whereas when I was first going up there, I was perhaps giving myself a bit more time, you know, one viewing per hour, one per 45 minutes because... What I would then do is arrive early, you know, kind of assess what I thought of the area, the street, you know, have a look at the neighboring houses, all things I recommend, but then you have more time to do it and absorb it when you're new to doing it. So, yeah. Well, for people starting, because in your case, you didn't use a sourcer. Do you have any particular views or opinions on using sources? What do you think? Uh, no, I don't have any particular views. I don't, you know, there's some really good ones. There's equally some really bad ones. I don't have too much experience with them. I'm, I'm, you know, registered with a couple of ones who I consider good sources, but haven't bought anything yet. That's mainly, you know, m- you know, from my prerogative side of things. Yeah. But, um, but no, I, I think there are some good ones out there. And particularly as I invest far away, you know, if that's a lot of people that would invest far away if you really didn't want to get as involved as I do, if you haven't got the time, if you work a full-time job, I would really recommend, you know, talking to sources and, you know, looking at ones that can really help with the full package, the finding, the re- you know, the refurb or, or at least recommending a build team to you and then getting it on the market as well because that's an efficient way of doing it. And I don't think there's anything wrong if you find a good source that can offer all of that. Yeah which I think is probably quite challenging in some ways to, to come across. But I think, like you said, it's one of those things like like chiropractors. You know, there's good ones, there's bad ones. I, I think, you know, if if you know someone who's had a really good experience with a sourcer, that's got to be a way forward. But, um, yeah, I haven't had any experience either. So I think it's just hit or miss. You've got to try, you try your, your best. Absolutely. What's the num? If you're happy to just talk about your numbers on the deal. So it, firstly, is it a two, one, two or three bed? Two bed. And is it a semi-detached terraced or? So it's a yeah, two-bed terraced uh, freehold house, basically. Amazing. Yeah. And the purchase price and rent, things like that? So purchase price is 58000 And um, yeah, it's up for, I think it was seventy, And then, yeah, it took a little bit of negotiation. But at that time, that was possible, you know, where I invest. Because right now, if you do that, most people would be paying that 70000 Whereas when not I was, more. yeah, if not possibly more. Um, but, you know, end of last year, 
September, October, November, whilst the market was good, you certainly had a lot more time to view, react, offer lower. You had more space to do, you know, to do those kind of things. So yeah, offered lower, and we eventually met the middle at an area I thought was quite comfortable for both of us, um, fifty-eight thousand pounds. I was expecting the rent to be four seven, you know, four seven five to five hundred mark, and worked my figures off of that. But actually, um, I managed to achieve five two five per month, which I was very pleased with. Amazing. Um, considering I didn't do too much to the house either, you know, the house was more or less ready to go when it completed in December. Um, I went out with my parents, who kindly, uh, my dad's very good when it comes to you know renovating houses, DIY. He's done many of them over the years, and he helped kind of replaster, repaint, you know, do a bit of electrical work, basic you know odd odd jobs that yeah. a normal builder would hate for you to just call up and, and give them a list of yeah. rubbish jobs to do. Um, so we went and did them and just got it ready to market basically, and then of course put it on the rental market. Possibly the worst time about a week before Christmas and. Um, right. It sat until I think the tenants moved in on the third week of January, which isn't really too bad. You know, it was, it was empty for uh, just over a month. But, um, but yeah, I'm quite happy with 525 and they've paid the whole way through, you know, this year, and uh, which I'm also very pleased with and, and appreciate the tenants I've got. Yeah, no, that's lucky. And I know that uh, for people in buy to let, the one of the benefits is that it's quite straightforward. You're not trying to find four or five different people with four or five different contracts. Um, and my understanding is that, you know, if you get good tenants and hopefully you, this will be the case for you, they might stay there for years, just ticking along, you know, in no, no changeover every six months. For people listening, I just want to note we're recording on the 14th of August because we touched on something really interesting there, which is that right now we're in the middle of stamp duty holiday. So for people who are buying for their own house, zero tax on a purchase, which is what the stamp duty is for people who are buying buy to lets. There's the mandatory 3%, but if you're in an area where there's a sliding scale, which brings it up to 6, 7, or 8, whatever, all of that's negated, so it's 3%. And because of that, price, price. I got an email today from a local agent saying that it's, everything's selling 2.4% above the asking in, in the month of August, uh, which is insane. Do you think people, between now and the end of March, which is when the holiday ends, do you think people can still get a good discount, or do you think it's out of the question? I think it's a yeah. <laughs> I think it's going to be hard. Let's put it that way, you know. Yeah. And I would so I've, obviously anyone following me on YouTube will know that I'm looking for buy to let number two at the moment. And in a way, I've had to take a step back from that because I've only done one trip up up to my you know investment area recently, and I, and I was intending to do another one this month, but I may well hold off just because. I think right now, trying to find a property that meets my criteria. When I say criteria, I mean like ROI, you know, because I'm 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 looking to probably have about ten buy to lets in my portfolio as as a landlord. Um, at least that's my goal right now. And in order to get ten, I want to make sure that all of those ten are really efficient, good buy to lets. You know, I don't want to buy one just for the sake of taking action and buying a house and so on. So that's why I really scrutinise the numbers and try and get a good ROI. But uh, you know, so for anyone that's particularly looking for a deal like that, it's going to be quite difficult. So unless you are buying your first home, unless you are really confident on the house you're buying, I would potentially just, you know, be, be cautious. You know, the properties are still going to be there in a few months. I'm not telling the people to not buy, you know, because there's good deals out there. Obviously, if it's your first home, you know, you might want to really take advantage of the stamp duty if it's over the threshold. Obviously, there's good incentives for them anyway. But if you're moving home like, uh, you know, some of those are that selling one property or maybe you're moving into a flip 
you know, that you're doing in your own name for, for tax reasons, now is the perfect time, you know, because you'd normally pay five, six, seven thousand pound stamp duty maybe on your home. Now you, you know you're not going to have to, and that would really help with the profit on a flip if you're doing that. Yeah, and I think one of the things I realise people might not be considering is that even though you might get a three percent break for the stamp duty, for example, yeah. you might be paying on average three percent more than you should be paying. So it's you have to be careful you're actually getting any discount if you're doing that. But um, that's some really good tips you mentioned there. How did you? Are there any tips or anything that stands out to you as ways in which you made that successful negotiation? Because you managed to get a good chunk of that knocked off. Did you email things? Did you call them and say certain things? How do you? How do you go about negotiating a price down? So, it I do I do feel like as much as I love to you know think of myself as a salesperson, good negotiator. I do think there was an element of again luck in the sense that you know there was it was a good market. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, I didn't have multiple offers to bid against because if you if you're going for a property and there's other interest, trying to negotiate is probably going to be quite difficult or out of the question. But if you if I was to really look at it, you know, everything in life that you do near or less, you know, near or more, sorry, near or less everything that you do in life is a negotiation. So if you can get a bit better at it, you know, just comfortably talking about prices or you know whether it's property whether it's buying a car whatever it is being a bit cheeky building rapport with people whether it's the agent or as I say I met the owner I still offered through the agent because that's what she requested but even so if you can build rapport it will it will go far you know far for you and that's a big part of life just building up negotiation skills there are some books on it I haven't got you know haven't spent a lot of time reading them I just think be a practitioner you know when it goes back to uh, earlier on I mentioned that you know, just for a bit of extra money when I was saving, I was doing eBay on the side, you know, the skills that come from just going to, you know, it sounds really naff and, and not a lot of people want to do it, but the skills that come from going to a car boot sale, haggling on price, you know, getting something for a bargain, bringing it home, marketing it yourself and selling it, that they will build up good skills for you that you will then use on bigger deals, which could be buying a car, selling the car and then onto property, so on, you know, and, and you keep going further and further. So, yeah, and uh, I guess the fundamental skills of negotiation are not industry specific. If you get a practice round in in a car boot sale with two pounds instead of ten, <laughs> I guess the skills yeah. still apply with two hundred against a million. So uh, that's really that's really useful. Just getting just getting in there and getting involved. What when did you start um, putting yourself online, and what was the motivation to get going with putting yourself online? So I started. I think it was it was in the lead up to buying, you know, my first so flight. That's it what was I was going to ask. Was it pre pre deal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah, I don't know. Well, actually, I do know why. I bought. I basically um, created, built up, and sold a business prior to property. You know, it was just right. a a basic clothing business, but I always, you know, wanted to try and run a business, and that's what I created. And from there, I realised kind of the power of social media because I sold everything from social media for that clothing business and built it right. up. And that had a following of, I think it was fourteen or 15,000 on Instagram. We got there within probably, well, under, just under 24 months. So wow. that was quite a good learning curve for me in terms of seeing the power of, you know, social media, Facebook, Instagram, and, and what have you. Didn't really touch on YouTube at that point. So when it comes to my property experience, I thought, right, I'm going to just document. You know, I, I wasn't intending for it to be a big thing. I just thought for my own being, when I look back, I want to document on how ridiculously dumb I was at the beginning and learning and, and you know, what mistakes I make, so on. So I just started documenting, talking about property from things I'd learned as an estate agent, networking, 
you know, basically using it as a tool for that. And then as I bought, you know, came up to buying my property, even though I've bought a home before and I've worked in a state agency before and, and, you know, bought and sold lots of homes or helped people buy and sell lots of homes, I hadn't experienced what it was like to buy a buy-to-let and go through that experience and, you know, the self-doubt, you know, the actual building up the confidence, you know, to go to an area I'd never been to before. You know, I don't think I'd been further than Derbyshire much before going to Liverpool. Right. And, um, you know, so there's a lot of things that, that come with, you know, I didn't know. So I thought actually after buying it particularly, I thought I've got to start sharing some of those things, you know, and that's where YouTube came into play a bit more as well as, again, wanting to document it, wanting to look back on this journey when I'm an old man, you know, with m- not much better to do. I also wanted to actually share the actual nitty gritty of what are the things that people don't teach online or what are the things that you can't read in books. What people will often teach are strategy and, and you know, obviously the meaning of different things in property, but no one actually says this is how you do it. So just started creating videos and some would say they're really basic and boring and or, you know, what have you. But for some people, they're, they're a good way, you know, they, they can learn, oh, I need to buy a buy-to-let, but it's actually all how do I do that? How do I go through the process of buying that? And that's where my YouTube comes into play. And I've, I've enjoyed growing that actually. It's been good fun. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I found you on YouTube and I think it's just in, amazing how content can just spread to random people like me. Like, I, I, you know, what are the chances, you know, we're meeting here now, we now know each other, but it's just through sharing your experience online that I found you, which I just think <laughs> we're lucky to live in a time where we can do that. I can learn from you. You did. I know you did. I saw, I remember seeing a really good video on the specific breakdowns of how to calculate ROI. I've met investors, especially, you know, the slightly older generation, they don't actually consciously know how to calculate ROI. They've just maybe done quite a few that they think, oh, between rent and and uh, mortgage this and profit. They don't really know if it's a good deal or not. A lot of people buy properties that way. So yeah, um, specifics like that is really helpful. So if you're happy to, I'd love to go through some details. So firstly, is there any social media platform that you would suggest or you would advise is probably the best to go with for people who are trying to build a personal brand and awareness of their work? I, I personally think um, you should try lots of different ones and kind of feel what works with your personality you know like i've i've tried tiktok but i'm not necessarily you know very good at you know dancing in a bikini or anything along those lines you know so it doesn't necessarily fit my personality whereas you know instagram i think for a lot of people should be a staple just because near enough everyone's on instagram you can network like crazy on there and um, it's really interesting to see the different ways in which people take their instagram brand for me, YouTube has been great. It was very difficult at the beginning to sit down in front of a camera and I absolutely hated it. But it just so happens that it caught on and, and I got used to it a bit more and I quite enjoy the the process of filming and editing and giving out value. Whereas, as I say, you know, Twitter, it's not really for me. You know, TikTok for reasons I've just discussed. Even Facebook, I just don't, not that taken by Facebook and it doesn't fit what I enjoy. So really I've just narrowed it down to Instagram and YouTube. And I don't think you need to conquer five at a time. You just need to solidly do one or two. Yeah. That, 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 that makes a lot of sense. Is it, um, yeah, I know you've got over 11,000 subscribers on Facebook. Where are you on Instagram at the moment? Numbers wise. Oh, Instagram's not much. So it's, um, 11 K subs, YouTube and Instagram's, uh, just sitting under just under 3000. It's yeah. funny how it doesn't so, transfer. Yeah, no, no, no. But it's, I mean, it's impressive, but you have to imagine. So, People sometimes don't realize, and it's important to know this, if you're listening and you're interested in property investment in the UK, 
it's hard to know this because if you're in the field, it feels like it's your whole world. It's a tiny industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the biggest YouTube channel that I'm aware of in property in- investment in the UK has 160,000, uh, 20,000 on Instagram. It is a tiny industry, which which is really good because you can be a, a big fish in a small pond type situation and get noticed quite easily, in my opinion. But 11,000 is, is like, you might, I reckon you're probably top five, top six in terms of number of subscribers for a property investor in the UK. Have you found any, has anyone reached through to you and said they want to work? Have you found it being useful from a business point of view? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I hadn't really thought of myself as top five, top six at all. But, uh, so I appreciate that. But no, I, I've definitely found it a really good way to network. You know, I get reached out to all the time. In fact, you know, I, I spend a lot of time trying to get back to people and always continuously trying to do that. But I've already met, you know, a couple of investors through it, you know, that have reached out to me and said they they like kind of the transparency of it and that I, they could be part of coming along the journey with me. There's also a few people that are brand new who maybe just want handholding. And, you know, I get reached out to a lot on that side of things as well. But um, you're absolutely right. You know, there's some huge industries out there like fitness and beauty, but property is still one that's, that's whilst when it's huge when you're in it because you just, that's what you do day to day. And you think, oh, everyone does property, but it's very small in comparison to other industries. Yeah, it's very small. And I and I, I consume a lot of podcasts. I consume a lot of educational material on YouTube. And the industries that are, that are the biggest apply to the most number of people. It's just correlation. And there's just not, if you think about the number of people trying to buy properties and investments, most people just think you need to be very rich to do it. No one knows about raising finance and joint ventures. So it, it applies to a very few people. So even though it feels like a lot, and you might be in a room of 400 people networking, but that's that's a high percentage of all the people in that city that's probably interested. Yeah, Find the number yeah. of people interested in, in health and fitness. It's probably the over 50% of any city. So that's really great. How do you how do you go about it? So let's talk about YouTube because I think you've done really well there. So did you do any training or any course or anything like that on YouTube marketing? No, not at all. No, actually. And did you start from zero subscribers or was this on the back of a different channel you had before that had subscribers? No, no, started from zero. So I think... First video was March 2019 when I went on Property TV, uh, the first the first edition. Is that Property Elevator? Property, Property Elevator, Elevator TV? that's yeah. it. Yeah, it's running yeah. the second season right now, isn't it? That's right, yeah. So it was first series. I was so naive and amateur. But, Who were the judges then? Um, Steve Ranjan's on it now. Yeah, Ranjan wasn't on it last time. So it was Steve Jacobs, who was um, quite big in the SA world in Blackpool. And... Um, you know, you've still got John Howard, isn't it? And uh, we had oh, yeah. Simon Simon Zucci. And I feel really bad now because I've forgotten the names of the other two. But <laughs> some very, very impressive, you know, and experienced investors, the other two as well. Um, but Did the I exposure was, on there help your subs or not? I was hoping it would, but no, it didn't really. <laughs> and um, I, again, just I actually uh, have a friend that's a videographer. So I hired him for the day and said, look, follow me you know, let's document this because it was the first series. And so I did, you know, as much documenting of it as I could. That was my first video. Did a couple of more at the end of 2019 as I was learning, but still didn't pick up any traction until I think February this year, I was on about 13 subscribers. And I thought, I'm going to go for this now. I think really lockdown helped, um, you know, because then I, I could wasn't doing anything in the evenings i could put the time and attention into it that i needed to yeah yeah i found the same with the podcast so i did my first one in january yeah. i did my second one three months later my, yeah. my third one a month later and then lockdown happened and every single week since i've knocked one out because we had the time <laughs> yeah um now unfortunately podcasting especially when it's audio only it doesn't have the same traction or virality but was there a, was there a video of yours that you felt 
really like i always feel with youtube it's pretty stagnant but someone always has a video that pops off and then there's always a certain amount of following after that was was that the case and what video was it yeah it massively was the case so i did one that one video which is about six minutes long where i just said okay i bought a buy to let my first buy to let and i'm sitting there on a sofa with a, a ropey whiteboard and i just say here are the numbers you know this is what i paid and this is what it achieves in rent and no one had really done that. You know, people had talked about buying buy to let and this is what you should be doing and how you should be spending your money. But no one sits there and says, this is a buy to let I bought and here are the numbers. Right. And so that's what, in, you know, incentivized me to do it. So I thought this would actually be, if I had watched a video like this before I bought mine, it had been super helpful. So I just wanted to do the same for someone else. And that video, it didn't land that well at the start, you know, got three, 400 views and it was sitting there quite good. And then, I think, yeah, a month or two after, it just suddenly spiked and that that really kicked things off. I mean, now as I sit here today, most of my videos get between four and 10,000 views, but that one's sit, sitting on over 80,000 now. Amazing. Now, right. when you create a video, I hope you're okay with me asking all these specifics, is it yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, because I think I would love to learn. I think for people who are finding this valuable because they want to know how to do YouTube and Instagram. So do you do anything once you've published it? Do you, do you post anywhere? Do you, do you promote it? Or do you just publish it and let the algorithm play its, play its time? So I do a bit of both. But, um, you know, I could be better at it. But I do post it on my Instagram. There is more I should do, and I will be looking to do that. But, um, but yeah, really, I've just been trying to perfect the craft of YouTube more than anything and hoping right. that if my videos are liked enough and if they're watched enough, then that helps it in its own right through the algorithm, as you mentioned, um, to boost me forward, you know. so. That, but that's really encouraging. So you don't necessarily spend a couple of days sending it in Facebook groups and emailing people about it not at all no okay that is helpful that's good to know so it does come down to quality of content at the end of the day um let's talk about thumbnails and titles so obviously there's a there's always a risk if you're something if you're titling it too clickbaity but i think you need to have it appealing should be i guess the word how do you decide what to name something and how to structure a title it's a combination it's a constant battle right it's a combination <laughs> of trying to provide a useful you, you know uh, the title that actually reflects what the video is about and therefore someone isn't clicking on it and, you know, as clickbait, but equally making it useful and interesting enough for someone to think, oh, I want to watch, you know, I need to watch that. So those two things are massively important. I think also structuring, you know, a video, wording a video in, in the way in which someone might search it, you know, not enough right. people do that. And also what people don't always consider is the the actual, when you're posting the video, you know, just like you would on Instagram, you know, you'll probably notice that if you posted something at 2 a.m. in the morning, you probably have a lot less likes than if you did it at 6 p.m. when everyone's finished work and traveling home from work and checking out Instagram. So just like you would act to Instagram, you should really, in my opinion, that's how you should be reacting to YouTube and thinking, well, when is everyone going to be sitting down at home, potentially, you know, apart from what we've been going through this year, when everyone's back into routine, when are people going to be sitting at home? And should you set a routine for example mine is 7 p.m sundays and for as long as i can continue creating content weekly that's useful enough i will continue posting 7 p.m sunday because it's at the point now where people are thinking oh justin's doing a video tonight i've got friends that say that i don't know if it's actually true but i think <laughs> in theory that's where it's at now where people you know, actually think sunday 7 p.m new videos coming and you get to the point then where some people don't mind what it's about. They will watch because they enjoy your content. Yeah. 
And then what are your thoughts on thumbnails? Because, by the way, for people listening, the reason I ask about the title is I remember reading a study somewhere that said about 80% of the likeliness someone will click a video is purely on the title, and that's the same for a blog post. There's something about an appealing title that will either make someone click or make someone not click, not the content and not even the image, but I know Im image is important. Now, with image, um, is there any... I've always wondered whether there's a value of having someone's face on there or not, because I do feel like with human faces, and I think, I know you're on quite a lot of your videos, but thumbnails, how do you think about thumbnails? I think, I personally think they are, I don't know the stats don't probably reflect this, but I think the decision is 50-50, or if not, okay, even, yeah. even more in favour of a thumbnail. Thumbnail, when, yeah. You know, when it comes to blogs and um, you know, podcasts, I know I'm guilty of it, I'm afraid. I just read the title and I don't always read the description. Whereas when it comes to a video, it's such a visual thing that there's a title and there's a thumbnail. There's something for you to visually look at, which reflects what the video might be about. So I do think it's an incredibly important part of it as well. And I try do try and put a bit of time into them as well to make them interesting. What do you, but is there, is there anything you go to? You're like, uh, you know, I've noticed that stats show more views when I've got my face in there or not my face in there or writing in there, no writing in there or? It's, it's always trial and error. I mean, I always try and put my face on it so then people, you know, probably know that I'm, you know, I'm featured in the video, obviously. But, you know, I, for example, I'm constantly trial and error. You know, I did a video about should you buy a buy to let or a supercar? And I didn't put my face on the front of that. I put my friend's Audi R8 on there, which is a lovely car. And I thought, well, that's going to go, that's going to go well. And it, and it didn't, you know, it's, it's sort of doing okay. But, you know, it's really hit and miss sometimes, but you've just got to, as you say, yeah, go off of feedback from from other videos you've done and just keep trialing different thumbnails. And also, you know, actually there's an element of if you're generally taking the feedback from the comments, then you will be able to use that to actually make a video that people want to see. So rather than just trying to fit the content into what you want to produce, fit it around what others want. So I was noticing, you know, a massive amount of questions. And I still get them to this day about how you run, you know, tax in property, you know, with section 24, it's such a huge thing. And particularly as I've bought mine in a limited company, you know, what's tax like? How do you do it? How do you set it up? What, you know, what led me to go limited company instead of my personal name? And I thought, okay, I've got to set up a, some sort of interview with an expert, AKA my accountant, so I did a video of my accountant and again, you know, it's not gone, it's not the biggest one, but it's, that's got just under 30,000 views because that's a video that people wanted. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I created it. Yeah. <laughs> and before I forget the 80% thing, I think now that I talk about it, I think you're right. I think that was specific to blog posts, but with YouTube, there's a lot of weight on the thumbnail. People do look at that. And I've noticed that people will have like a title in the thumbnail separate to the title of the writing, just to make sure like both like two versions are in there. But um, I've always thought that YouTube should allow for A-B testing on the title so that the first hundred views are spread through five different titles and whichever gains the most traction automatically sticks. Do you know what I mean? It'd be an interesting way of doing it and you'd get rid of some of the real clickbait out there, I'm sure. <laughs> exactly. Or it would favour the clickbait because it might they might click more. Well, and they might, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be, yeah, but way. we'll see how we'll see how it progresses. I like YouTube. I, I I'm a massive consumer, to be honest, of podcasts and educational material like yours on YouTube. I think people I've met people, I've heard of people that have become so well skilled in a field from self education on YouTube. I think that my my concern is I feel like a lot of people have in certain industries they have a restriction in um, freedom of speech. Joe Rogan's my favorite podcast. He's moving everything to Spotify. 
Yeah. And I know it's because I've, I remember three times over the last year I've searched for his podcast and temporarily the whole channel was taken down because obviously he talks about everything under the sun. Yeah. And I don't think they should have, you know, they should have the police over that, but that's their product. Yeah. Um, luckily, in property investing, you're, you're almost unlikely ever to, to, to breach their contract because they're not going to care about property investing. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, there's, there's one thing I just wanted to cover on YouTube before, you know, we move on at all. And that's, um, in terms of it as an investment, you know, I did, I genuinely, honestly did start Instagram and YouTube just to network and to document, and they are still a huge part of it. And that's why you'll see so many personal, some people think it's random that in some of my videos, you know, I throw in so many personal things about what's gone on in my week or, you know, um, but it's, there's an element of selfishness from me as well as, as well as putting out value. I want to be able to look back and remember you know, by different time checks and, and different things that went on in my life. So, but with regards to YouTube, it's now turned into a revenue stream, you know, and, and what do we get into property for? Because we want to earn money on the side. We want an investment. And it's important to think of things in a business manner as well sometimes. So, you know, once you get over a thousand subscribers, once you have over 4,000 hours of watch time within one year, you are then able to run adverts at the beginning, end, and sometimes the middle of your videos. And it creates, you know, it's Google AdSense, it's Google money. And it's now become, you, you know, a monthly revenue for me as well. So, you know, yes, I am all about creating and giving back, but also just for transparency, you know, I think it's important to some of these things enough should be used from a business point of view as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, in terms of creating the videos, so are you creating it on a DSLR or just your phone, or what are you creating on? Uh, both. So I okay. have a DSLR from from my, you know, when I ran the clothing company and was taking pictures and doing photo shoots, and then also when I'm out and about, I don't want to carry this big heavy cannon around with me. I look like one of those clowns in the street, you know, walking around with one in front of my face. So that's my, that's me personally. I don't feel comfortable yet. Maybe one day, but so I, what I do is I walk around with a phone instead, pretend I'm on FaceTime or something, or I, um, you know, film different clips when I'm out just to document what I'm doing. But you know, an iPhone is perfectly adequate to get a YouTube account started now. Yeah. And then what are you, what software are you editing on? Uh, basic, just I, I movie on Mac. I'm going to okay. upgrade soon. Um, because there's some limitations to it now now where I've got to but um, again I just started it really you know I don't think I think people overanalyze sometimes and I don't mean it horribly you know people want to put out good quality I appreciate that but I think sometimes there's more mileage in getting started than having the best camera the good the best software and, and so on yeah have you have you have you been recognized yet at networking event or anything like that like have you have you had that <laughs> shit on famous moment um not quite you know shit, i'm famous but i mean I, I when i was in liverpool and actually when i was down here recently there's been a few occasions where i've come out of a house on a viewing and i got recognized and the people mm. you know said they'd watch my content and it was to you know help them take their steps to viewing and, and potentially buying and i was really pleased to hear that and then yeah in, in, the, in the gym locally down here and then out on house viewings again you know being uh, recognized which is really nice in all honesty so that's pretty cool. If someone came to you now, um, do you mind me asking how old you are? 28. I've got a baby so say, face. Say if someone at 18 came up to you and said, I, I would love to get my first deal before I'm 25. You know, I want to earn, put some aside, buy, like you said, with my own funding. Is there anything that comes to mind that you would say, 
I think you first need to have this type of psychology or mindset or way of thinking. What would you advise someone? I, you know, from speaking from experience, it's perfectly doable by 25. And if someone's got a really good income and they've got the passion for it, then they should definitely do it. You know, I think a lot of people now or some people now are doing it for the the kind of ego side of things that comes with being a property investor and developer whereas you know take a step back you know is buying a buy to let the the best thing that you can do with your money right now do you have a huge passion and drive for something else do you have a huge passion for some sort of business that you could start and reinvest you know the money into that or you know even going back a step further and, and being more simple with it you know is there something that's rather than jumping straight to a buy to let could you buy your own home but think of that as a project think of that as something you know a a property business so you buy your own home you get all the benefits that come along with that and the reduced stamp duty and then you use that as a flip or you you know um, refurbish it and refinance it and then use the money that you've made on that to then buy your buy to let so you know definitely by 25 there's lots you can do but i just think sometimes people see videos or see and hear about buy to let investing and they think the first thing i've got to get is a buy to let whereas actually there's a lot of mileage in buying a property maybe doing some of the work yourself you know putting in some of that sweat equity and and really you don't have to outsource everything from day one and really you know, add some value to that property. And as I say, flip it and go on to the next or refinance it and buy a buy to let. And um, yeah, you know, and, and also just to cover on that, because I was talking to someone yesterday who felt pressured to buy within the next few months because they wanted that buy to let. And I just said to him, look, the houses, you know, obviously it's easy for me to speak and say this because I have bought my first one and that, I guess the pressure's taken off me a bit, but the, the houses will always be there. And even if so if the market doesn't go down slightly in four or five months time and it does continue up it's only going to continue up by a few thousand so even if you have waited and and saved a bit more money and the market was to have gone up you're not going to have lost out much the houses will be there for you to invest in take your time learn as much as you can and get as much savings behind you as well so that you have a contingency rather than just rushing straight in that's really good. That's really help, helpful tips. I'm curious to know your thoughts on rent to rent. You know what? You know when, when <laughs> no. you're in, uh, the pause when, yeah. when you're in um, property, and when you talk and you 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 know live within it so much, it's so easy to get taken down different routes and think, oh, I yeah. could do that and I could do that. And rent to rent is great if you legitimately hate your job and want to create a business you know, a business that's within property, not an investment. If you want to create a business that's within property and earn money quickly, I do think rent to rent can be done quite, you know, quite well. And, you know, you could do, you know, rent to service accommodation. I've certainly considered it, but put them to the back because I had to stay true to what I wanted out of property, which was a long-term investment. You know, I want, yes, my property, you know, that I bought doesn't cash flow thousands of pounds a month you know but it's certainly it's an investment that will hopefully be there for 20 30 years i'll earn money off of it every month and i'll also gain wealth and some sort of pension out of it in the future yeah i could not agree more i think making that distinguishment between a business entrepreneurial structure and a pure investment vehicle is important because property is one of those weird ones where you could go down both and they seem the same but people should probably be aware that rent to rent is a much more work than a buy to let 
uh, but the cash flow might be higher. So I couldn't agree more. If you hate your job and you want to have equal number of hours, but maybe not as much hate your job, do a service accommodation. <laughs> but otherwise, that's not. Um, would you ever expand out to Liverpool? And has any other areas come to mind as appealing to you? Yeah, you know, definitely would. This is this has given me a chance to, with with the current interest that's in Liverpool, it's given me a chance to really reassess. You know, how how keen am, am I on to you know continue investing in Liverpool? Because in all honesty, before this level of interest was there, I was hoping to have two, three, four, maybe even five houses up there before considering a new area. However, it may well be that for temporarily, I take my interest somewhere else or you know maybe I get one more and then I start to you know there is an area down south which I'm still researching and doing viewings in and looking into so I'm not kind of sharing it at this stage but it's an area which down south is perhaps considered low price for what down you know down here is and it would be it would offer me the opportunity to buy a flat as a you know a flat or or a small house as a you know straightforward family let or could even be serviced you know rented out service accommodation but i'm quite wary of changing strategy yet i I wanted some simple easy investments to start with so yeah um, i think one benefit you might have is that i remember meeting a very active investor who lives like you said near a motorway where they're looking at liverpool but then i think is it the m not the m3 what is that big line that comes down south from liverpool I mean, there's so many different parts. Ah, uh, right. M25, some, M4, yeah. Probably the M4, but but this yeah. gentleman in particular, he lived near a straight motorway to Liverpool, so he was looking to buy all up that motorway. So you still have that efficiency when you travel. Um, so that's for people living further away can consider that from their investment areas. Um, any apps, softwares, any programs, any websites, anything that you would recommend or that you live and die by to manage your whole property investment branding thing? So... I have my website, but I haven't. I will start putting out more content on there soon. But that's more just to know a bit more about me. What do I? Um, in terms of my business, in terms of like, I have a few little revenue streams, and I, I funnel them through. You know, I have a couple of little businesses that I funnel that through, and and I use quite heavily. Um, you know, like QuickBooks, Receipt okay. Bank as my kind of like business software. Um, yeah. I do you use anything for making the thumbnails like in terms of images Sorry, or image editing? Yeah, yeah so i use canva for that so really okay, yeah. easy to use you know i use um i used to use photoshop but more or less everything can be used through canva if i need to cut anything out i use photoshop and then i'll drop it into canva just to overlay the text because i'd find it really quick and easy to use whereas some of the others i find a bit more time consuming but i just try i, I keep it really simple yeah no that's really good Listen, I could, I could speak with you all day, but I've, I've taken an hour of your time. So we'll call it a day. Maybe we'll touch base again in the future when you're on your 10th or 11th. It'd be really good to see what your portfolio is looking like. But uh, I great. really I really appreciate your time today, Justin. For people who are listening, who might want to work with you or JV with you or even just find you online, where where's best to find you? Yeah, so YouTube, I'd say, if you want to really get to know me and, and go through all my content, YouTube, Instagram. So on YouTube, I'm just Justin Wilkins. I should hopefully pop up by now. <laughs> and uh instagram it's justin n wilkins is my handle i have my website as i say there's not much on there right now but as as the you know weeks go by i'm, I'm just creating content for the, the back end of it now in which it will be kind of like simple articles and little useful things that you can use more for again as I, as I sort of have alluded to with my youtube for the nitty-gritty side of of you know rather than learning about 
how to strategize property more how do, how do you do it how are you know the individual bits so yeah my website is just justinwilkins.co.uk that's it really and um feel free to reach out to me i'm quite you know busy with messages but i'll always get back to people you know eventually as, as quick as i can yeah amazing thank you so much for people listening all those details and links will be in the show notes below the below the episode if you want to click straight through but yeah follow this guy guys um, if you're listening this is valuable content but also following the journey of an entrepreneur building a brand and awareness in in my opinion in a very short period of time in 12 14 months to go over 10,000 subscribers and build a recognizable brand you always have that to be able to show investors and there's something about being well known unfortunately or fortunately it builds massive credibility and i think that's one of the vital things as an investor to have so really well done to you and i look forward to touching base with you in the future thanks very much for having me cheers for it